everyone that knows my parents or actually our family friends would say that this is the last thing they ever expected. So it was completely out of the blue. It wasn't something that we were like foreshadowing. It was like, maybe we should have a backup plan or this and other. It was just something that just happened. And so that kind of fight or flight response kicked in. And it was like, either pick yourself up or do something or roll over and die. <laughs> Chris Chung is the founder of Locate 852 and the leading Facebook ad strategist in Asia. His proprietary ad hygiene system is the core foundation that has allowed him successfully to manage over 24.7 million in ad spend for his clients. Chris is also the host of The Chris Chung Show, one of the top business podcasts in Asia where he interviews industry titans on topics regarding business success, entrepreneurship, relationship building, and habits. All right, we're here with Chris Chung on The Gravity Podcast. Chris, thanks for taking some time. I know it's Super late there, but I'm um, happy that we could make this work. No, super excited to be on here. Thank you so much for having me. You were fantastic on my podcast. So this is the least that I could do. <laughs> well, it was fun. So um, yeah, let's start at the beginning. Tell me about what it was like uh, in your earliest memories of, of being a kid, your, your family, kind of <laughs> you know, where you're from. Let me hear kind of the uh, early backstory. Yeah. So um I was born in LA, but then I grew up in Hong Kong. So um, my, uh, but half of my family is still in the stateside. So like we were just chatting before, I spend half the time here, half time there, just because my grandparents are there. But half of my family is is here. So I was grew up here. Was grew up in a very very nice uh, family. Had everything that I ever wanted, everything that I ever needed, and had to had the luxury in order to experience a lot of different things that not a lot of people are able to experience even throughout their lifetime. So I'm very, very blessed and very, very grateful in that sense. Um, so I, I studied all of my primary school, middle school, high school um, in Hong Kong. Um, and then by the time that I was 18, I went to Australia to for, for university. Um, and during that year, essentially, is when uh, my parents got divorced. Um, but it wasn't... Let me, let me- Sorry, let yeah, me just happen yeah. before you um, go too far down the road. So let's back up a little bit. I'm always kind of struck by this, you know, um, and having recorded, you know, a bunch of these episodes and hearing, you know, over, you know, 100 life stories and journeys and and the many that, you know, you, you learn about um, that aren't recorded. There's always, you know, um, this, this, it seems like there's, you know, one of two paths that most people grew up in. One is... Uh, right. Um, you know, somewhat traumatic or could be very traumatic. And then the other is this kind of unconditionally loving, like, you know, everything was great. I have what I need. Yeah. You know? yeah. And yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm kind of curious, you know, when, when one of those pops up and, you know, at least it sounds like, you know, to me that you had this really, you know, great family, um, right. you know, maybe you just elaborate a little bit on, you know, what that was like or, or how that, you know, kind of, started to serve you even, you know, at an early age. And, and I'm also kind of curious, like, right. tell me more about like what you were like or what you were into, you know, in those early years. Good question. Um, I grew up as, because of having everything I needed, I grew up a very confident kid, um, was never academic ever. 
till till university past that never academic never excelled academic but i was always good with the presentations the talking in front of class and it's like trying to get a group of people i would always find the people that were like you guys do the work i'll do the presenting so if you guys you guys don't worry about like if they're not good at speaking they're just good at the making the decks and all this stuff i was like no no worries just give it to me i'll make sure we will we'll be able to present it so i've always been that kind of guy played a lot of sports um basketball was the main thing um but being in an environment where i had everything that i ever wanted or needed kind of really set me up to have all these experiences that i at that young age i wasn't aware that you know not everyone was the same way and obviously hong kong the cost of living in in hong kong is is very very high already but there's two different types of school there's like essentially the local schools and the international schools and i was fortunate enough to 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 attend an international school and that's where you learn where we're able to practice you know english where we're cantonese chinese usually the, the dominant language but we got to do that throughout my you know um since i was born until my all my high school life um so it allowed me a lot of different experiences of traveling around the world seeing seeing different experiences how different cultures work that was something that set me up for a lot of the things that i know now and experience now but i didn't know if not not having that experience then would be totally different compared to to the way that i see it now mhm mhm yeah so it's yeah it it is you know something that i've kind of wondered about and confidence does seem to be kind of the thing that maybe you would get if you had um you know kind of right. everything you needed you know yeah. you'd feel good about yourself and then you'd be yeah. confident about who you were in the world it's not always true but um not surprised to hear you know you say that and um i also you know kind of curious about the the academic piece you know what was it like to to you know not excel in academics and did your family care and and you know were you confident with that 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 you know you were good at other things that you know you had this gift of being able to speak and and present and kind of you know tell me like for you as like a experiential thing was it was that just who you were and it felt good and you're okay with it or was there any rub there so it felt good um my parents were unlike the traditional kind of asian parents were very much more supportive to do what i wanted to do and you just focus on doing that and if you like it if you get at it then do it but obviously you need to the, the way that my parents taught me was like if you start something you need to finish it so mm-hmm. growing up i started a whole bunch of stuff so i i i because of one concert i went to which was a famous violin group where there was four girls and this group was called bond um it was one concert and i was like i want to play the violin so if you're like okay if you started you got to finish it so i did that and i went from day 1 i didn't like it day 2 but i did completed all of my 8th grade violin mm-hmm. i started playing the drums they were like if you do it you got to do 8th grade i was like fine i did it did did 8th grade taekwondo i started it they were like if you do taekwondo you got to get a black belt did that got a black belt um horse riding i and then i started my my parents were super supportive so i would have all these different hobbies i was when i was younger i liked um uh card magic um or or close up magic so they would hire a one on one tutor which was probably around 100 bucks or 150 bucks an hour to come to my place just to teach me little tricks 
um, every once a week. Um, and so I would pursue that. I pursued um, shooting, um, like as in, um, no, not, well, obviously it's not legal to, sh- to shoot guns in, in Hong Kong, but the same kind of structure and format where they treat it as a live firearm um, to do that as a course um, swimming. So I, I did a whole bunch of different stuff, but whatever they told me that I needed to do, I needed to finish. Uh, my dad was an entrepreneur. He was a businessman and he was successful at it. And that's what I kind of saw growing up. I was like, Oh, dad doesn't work for anybody else. Unlike my friends, a lot of my friends, their parents actually worked, worked. Uh, my dad was like, kind of, he can go to the clubhouse after he drops me off at school and then go to work or after work, he can pick me up and then we can go grab a bike. He doesn't have to work on that specific schedule. Um, and that really shifted my perspective. So since that, probably like 12, 13, 14, I was really already saying, Hey, I want to do business. I want to work for myself. I don't want to work for anybody else. I don't know how, I don't know why, but that's just what I wanted to do. And that's part of the reason of why looking back now in hindsight is why I didn't excel academically because something that just, it just didn't make sense to me. I didn't think it was worth it. I never understood why I'm learning this in math or these, uh, these different uh, chemistry. I was like, I'm never going to use this. Why am I paying attention? Um, so obviously at, in, in the moment, you still get a lot of shit from your parents and saying like, Hey, you got to do better. So, but I always scraped by. So I would aim for like, if 51 was passing, I, that, that's, that's what I'm getting. I'm not 52. I don't, I don't care. So that was kind of how I viewed it. Um, I don't know why I had that thought of saying, Hey, you know, school isn't important because everyone else is going to go to college and everyone's going to get into good school. But I was just saying, Hey, let me just wing it. And then we'll see what to do. I always kind of figured out I was always kind of like the more sort of the street smart kid instead of the book smart kid. So I've always figured out a way in order to make things work at the end of the day. So I kind of have confidence in myself, like it's going to work somehow. I don't know how, but I'll make it work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, interesting. I, I love this uh, idea about learning, you know, that, that you, know, you, you didn't feel chemistry was something you're ever going to need. So, you know, get by, pass, right? But um, it's, very clear with all of the different things that you chose to get into that you were very capable and very, uh, you know, excellent at learning, you know, learn the violin, right. Learn, um, how to get a black belt, you know, learn how to shoot a firearm, learn, you know, I mean, you, you, you know how to learn things that you want to learn. And, and, and it sounds like a lot of them at a very high level. Um, and, and I don't know, I kind of, like that idea of learning that, you know, why wouldn't we just learn things that we do want to use or that we think we might want to use or right. that we like, that we're passionate about, you know? Um, sounds like that's what you were learning um, kind of instinctually. Like that was just your way or maybe your parents were supportive. Um, you know, it sounds like your dad was role modeling, you know, what it would look like to be an entrepreneur and and kind of do your own thing. Um you know, uh, it's pretty it was, cool. It, it was definitely good. And I think one thing that really taught me was when I was about 14 until 18, I played for the school basketball team and basketball was essentially the reason of why I went to school. Mm-hmm. Like there was nothing about, I would never do my homework, but I would arrive at school to train before the principals arrived at school. I would be at the school. School starts at like, I think, 
um, 8.15, I would wake up at 5.30 or 6 in order to get to school at 7 and then start training for an hour before everyone even wakes gets gets through the door and then change and then start going to class. After school, I'd hit the gym before you know everybody else or even stay after we do. And all the time that people are spent studying and doing homework, I'd do an hour of workout in the gym and then now and then an hour on the courts in order to practice. Um, and then the Sundays and training. So, so that really was why I enjoyed it. But that really set the tone for me on what on, on, on the practical aspect of what it takes in order to get better. I was never the best on my team, but the work that I put in um, allowed me to start from, you know, a person that never get any sort of minutes to a person that was starting or at, at least at the very, very minimum, the first one off the bench. Um, seeing that and living that and being able to, being at a school like this, you get to travel around to different parts of China in order to play with the other schools internationally and this and other was, was an eye opener and, and definitely the experience that I needed in order to, to really grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, you're, you're seeing the importance of hard work, right. And your parents are also, you know, right. telling you, you got to finish what you start. I mean, exactly. this is, these are good lessons to, to really learn and, you know, if you're learning them and things that you're excited by, then you can kind of carry that into your your adult life and into your career. I mean, you can work hard and love what you do and know that there's a way by doing that, you know, you can produce great results. It's right. pretty awesome to be learning that, you know, at a, at a young age. So, um, yeah, tell me, so you go off to college and, and uh, university and um, how's life start to unfold from there? It's funny. So... I barely scraped by high school and I didn't tell anybody. Um, well, a lot of people, all my friends obviously know, like Chris is a guy that like, likes to talk, that likes to play basketball, but never excelled academically. So I barely scraped by by graduating. Um, and then I got into university in Australia. And so I went to Melbourne in order to study in, in, in Melbourne University. I did the first year. Um, and within the first six months, I got a phone call out in the blue saying that uh, from my mom saying that like shit hits the fan. Uh, mom and dad are done. Um, and, 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 and we're, we're like completely broke. Went mm-hmm. from like everything to like, like we're downsizing. Like we're getting rid of everything in your room. Like you're, you're never coming back to this house. Like, like we're done mm-hmm. and you're not seeing dad. Like, like that's it. I had a couple phone calls with dad couple phone calls with mom and obviously both sides were saying different things. Everyone was crying. Everyone was doing this, that, and other. And I was like, I, I went to Australia alone. Like I was pretty independent in the sense of like, it's okay. You guys don't have to take me there to help me settle down. I'll, I'll figure everything out. Just, just let me be. Did that, went over there. So in a matter of probably four months of time, everything was like gone. Um, no money, no home. Dad's then suddenly moved to um, back to Canada, and then mom stayed in Hong Kong. Found another apartment, but essentially we're completely broke. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what happened? If you don't mind me asking, I mean, what, what actually happened, or what do you think happened? Yeah, how um, much can you share? Yeah. So, I before I went to Australia, I felt like I had a gut feeling that something was wrong. Um, never could never really pinpointed it, but I never put too much of an 
too much thought to it just because everything is for the past 18 years, everything's gone. Okay. So, so I'm sure if it's not right now, it's going to be okay then. So that was kind of the thoughts. Um, long story short, there was a lot of lies that were just being told, but dad exited the business um, for the past two years um, before I was 18. So probably around 16, 17 ish. And, and we're just living off of that. Um, and my dad is um, significantly older than my mom. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was happening. No, we, we, we didn't know what was going on. And essentially the way that I found out was dad usually wires me money every single month and say, hey, this is what you do. One month that wire came in and it was half of what I needed. And I was like, dad, did you make a mistake? Um, he was like, no, something's just going on. Um, so just stay put. And then the other half is going to come. That other half never came. But what was tough was because I just, I asked dad, I was like, Hey, I, I just signed a lease here for, for a year. Can, can I do that? And he was like, yeah, that's okay. But not having money, I'm not going to be able to pay the lease. And I was just a student. I wasn't working or anything. Um, so that was essentially what happened. Mom and then that then instantly split ways. Um, and it's really, really odd because I came from a super loving family. So mm. Mom and dad was always perfect. Never, never a single fight. Dad was the most loving person. Super. And, and, and the out them, everyone that knows my parents or actually our family friends would say that this is the last thing they ever expected. So it was completely out of the blue. It wasn't something that we were like foreshadowing. It was like, maybe we should have a backup plan or this and other. It was just something that just happened. And so that kind of fight or flight response kicked in and it was like, either pick yourself up or do something or roll over and die. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Well, no, I mean, if it's so, totally out of nowhere and just, you know, not um, expected at all, I mean, that, that can certainly, you know, really rock your world, especially yeah. at that time in life. I mean, you know, as a college kid, I mean, I've got two of my own kids in college and I know kind of where they are in life. And, right. you know, to have your life turned upside down like that is, is pretty rattling. Um, you know, you described kind of the, um, you know, the options then, you know, um, you know, fight or flight. So, um, tell me a little bit about then, like, then what for you, I mean, kind of what kicks in and and how do you start to, um, move forward? Right. So for when that happened, I had another probably four months before I was due to go back to, to Hong Kong and finish that, um, my first year, essentially. What I then, before everything hit the fan, I also got accepted. My girlfriend, um, we were still together. We dated right after high school, went to the same high school. She went to the London in the UK in order to study university. And I went to Australia. So before then, I, I liked Australia, but I didn't love it. So she was like, why don't you come over? So in December, before everything happened, I applied and actually got unconditional um, acceptance offers from, from a few different universities. So they were like, Hey, you, you, you can, if you just take it, you can come and you can go to school here. I was like, Oh, fantastic. So that was the plan in order to go to the UK in order to then do my second and third year to, to, to graduate my university there. When things didn't, things went south, I instantly said, Hey, this, this is, this isn't going to work. I don't even know if I'm going to be able to complete university. Um, at all, because where where's the money going to come from in order to fund this? Um, what I then did was actually, it, it instantly kicked in where it was like, what do we do in order to make money? 
Now, during that year was the first year that essentially where there was content creators on Instagram. And, and it, was, it was not a thing at all. No one knew what the hell it was. Instagram was kind of brand new uh, at the time. And so I was checking things out and seeing what were people doing in order to make money. So I saw that people that were creating content consistently would be, be able to work with brands and brands would pay them in order to do something big. Um, and that was just what I, I figured out. And I was like, oh, let me try to do the same thing because I was fortunate enough to have a lot of these assets already. And so by what I did was I essentially reverse engineer what people were doing. So people that were getting most paid was like either like people that are creating fashion content or people that were creating lifestyle content. Um, that, that was kind of the people that were getting the bigger brand deals. So I was like, oh, fortunately, I either already have these sort of content or I have access to these sorts of content because of the way that I've grown up. So maybe I can start doing this stuff. So I just doubled down on doing that and started producing content over the next probably six months. Um, and if you fast forward a little bit, I did get to, I come, came back to Hong Kong, downsized everything. And obviously mom, mom was upset um, and we were in this place, but my, my grandparents and everything, everyone was able to help and say, hey, Chris, you should still go to college. Um, so they were able to, to, to chip in and say, hey, still do that, still go to London. Um, so I was very, very grateful in that sense of, uh, as well. Um, and then I pursued that and I was able to start producing and working as a content creator on Instagram over the probably the next two years. Um, and I was able to figure it out what was all the big players doing. And I reversed it and started creating, growing a following and went from zero to 5,000, 5,000, 10,000, 10,000, 15, 15, 20. And then from the content that I was creating, the fashion lifestyle content, it was exactly like how I expected it to be. People reached out and I started working with very, very big brands and doing different partnerships and being with dinners with Who I Am, being in the front row on fashion weeks um, and being able to travel to Milan, go to the London Fashion Week and do all these different things to get paid in order to make things work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, incredible, really. I mean, I'm kind of curious, you know, when you start to discover this, you know, content creation, um, right. Instagram, and you know, early days, um, you know, what was your, you know, you described kind of seeing other people doing it and kind of reverse engineering and figuring out how to, you know, do it yourself, right? But what was what was like? Was there a certain energy or excitement or fear around kind of like the the newness of it all? You know, like, this isn't like, you're like, oh, well, I'm going to be an entrepreneur and I'm going to go start this business and do this thing. Right. It's like an entirely new thing. And so what was it like for you to kind of, you know, step into something that, you know, was really new for everybody? Right. So, so before, obviously, Instagram, the, the YouTube thing was already growing. So there was a lot of ex existing YouTubers. I know YouTubers get paid because of the YouTube platform, the way that ads work on YouTube. People watch it, you get paid. So the first thing that came to mind was maybe I should be a YouTuber because that was like proof of concept. It was it was it was there. I recorded probably I, I bought a whole bunch of little gears, a few lights here and there, a nice camera that I borrowed, and a nice bike. I set everything up, start recording it. It just didn't feel like it didn't feel right, and I I wasn't naturally good at that, and and it was just too much. I didn't like the editing. I didn't like the the planning of the videos. It was a little bit too much. Whereas Instagram to create the perfect picture wasn't that difficult because I figured out that like 
the, the perfect picture is it's almost all it's, it's the elements that needs to be aligned, the elements that's within the shot, what you're wearing, where you are, what you're holding, um, and then the way that it's edited. And then each picture, as long as the color tone is somewhat similar to the rest of it, that's why people like their, their grids perfect. Um, it looks curated. It looks nice. Um, was it, it came way more natural and way more easier to me to, for me to manage. Um, so that's what I instantly then gravitate towards, knowing that because of the YouTube way that works, it would the, the same way would apply for Instagram creators if they're good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and tell me about the fashion piece. I mean, is that something that you're just um, at this time, you know, interested in, or there was certain kind of um, I don't know, you know, sexiness to it to be able to you know be on the runways and and I mean I don't know, it sounds kind of fun, but you know, I'm just curious, like where that part of you, you know, kind of how you shifted into that part of the the influencer world. So I, I think. There's, there's a two part, right? If I, if I told you that I didn't like looking like cool and being on the red carpets and doing, you know, sitting front row, it's like that, that'd be a lie. Um, I, I loved every minute of that, but the fact that I was able to get, so you see, the thing was like, I rang my mom that one day when I got that deal in order to have dinner with Will I Am and to take a couple pictures with a pair of Spec Savers was the brand that I was working with to take a couple pictures of. Well, I am's collaboration with Specsavers. They gave me a whole bunch of like tailored glasses and say, hey, Chris, we want you to have dinner come out at this very, very nice restaurant. Um, it was just going to be like six of you guys or eight of you guys. Everyone's going to chit chat. Um, and then you're going to take a couple of pictures, post it, and we're going to pay you X amount of dollars with something that I just, I just rang mom was like, mom, this, this is it. Like mm. this, like, it, this is it. You get paid a significant amount to have dinner with the celebrity where you can chit chat and you get to look good. And they have photographers in order to make sure that you look good. It, it just made sense to me. Mm-hmm. So the coolness definitely played in part. Cause obviously then you, when you start doing that and you, at first it's kind of dumb because no one pays attention and then everyone's just kind of commenting and laughing. But then once you start getting a little bit of traction, they're seeing that, Oh, this is a little different. Oh, I didn't know you were able to be get, get in here. Um, then, then that's when like your, your friends start messaging you saying, how, how are you able to do that? Can I do this? Can you bring me along? Can I be your plus one for you know the X show? Or can we go to that show together? Um, do you have... So, so it's just, it just works off of that. And then once you get one brand, then all the other brands start because you're, you're working with spec savers. Oh, we're, you know, Adidas, we want to work with you or we're boohoo man. Like, like whatever, like they, they want to work together because it's just by association. So that kind of snowballed. Okay. So then, so tell me, where does it go from there? I mean, you know, obviously the, the kind of um, influencer world continues right. to expand and change, you know, kind of tell me, you know, you're, 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 you know, getting a lot of traction, building your right. following, you know, what happens next? So I did that, um, continuously doing that whilst I was doing that, obviously, because these are always one-off jobs, right? You get to pay for, for one event or one specific post or an X amount of posts. So I wanted to make sure that when I'm, when I'm not doing that and I'm not going to school, I want to be doing something else. I got to do something else in order to get paid more. So I figured out that 
there was, it was kind of new as well. There was a lot of people that were doing this drop shipping model on, on, on online, setting up a store, running some ads, and then getting purchases. So I set up the same um, and had a decent amount of success at it right off the bat. But what I learned was I, I, I liked the model, but I didn't think it was sustainable long-term just because it, it's everyone's going to start doing it and you don't actually own anything. You're just running ads essentially to a nice website. Um, you don't do any fulfillment. You don't do any sort of things. But what I did like was the skill in order to be able to make the ads work. So that marketing aspect was something that I really enjoyed. So by building a couple stores that did well and practicing that marketing, uh, the Facebook and Instagram ads, then got me into this hole of cracking. What do people that are you know not only spending you know a couple hundred bucks or a couple thousand a month in order to, to for Facebook Instagram ads doing, but what are the people that are spending you know a couple hundred thousand, a couple million a month? doing that's like completely different to what I'm doing. And that's the hole that I then then went in whenever I wasn't doing any sort of campaigns or when I was not going to school. So so you started kind of marketing for just larger brands or individuals, people that were just spending a lot of money. I mean, tell me, tell me a little bit more about exactly what that looked like. So I was only applying what I was learning to the stores that I was running myself. I wasn't doing this for anybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, I was doing the content creation for, for myself, running ads to my own store, and then kind of learning and going at the same time, and then doing the, 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 the Instagram campaigns whenever that was going on. Um, as I was progressing, I would every you know Christmas or, or summer, I would come back to Hong Kong. And I started getting all these questions because people were starting to notice that this Instagram thing that I was doing was working. And so they would ask me, Hong Kong is, 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 is somewhat slower. They, they don't get like, when, when influencers was a thing or in, this, in the UK and in the States, Hong Kong was barely able to catch up. They're always kind of one, two, three years behind on this cultural catch up back then. So no one knew, there wasn't a term called influencers in Hong Kong. And, and, and actually in Hong Kong, what they call it is KOLs. So KOL stands for key opinion leaders. And this is the term, like if you say influencer, like half of them would get it, but the other half, everyone gets KOL, like Chinese people or English people, KOL. Okay, you're, you're one of those guys. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these, because of the, the family friends that we had, everyone was asking us like, Chris, how did you build, you know, 10,000, 15,000 followers in your account or, or 20,000? How did you do this job? Can you do the same for us? So that's when I put two and two together and say, hey, whilst I'm, I'm back here for summer, maybe I can do this. So that's when I actually started my company, which is the company that I own now, which is located 852 and say, hey, I'll do content production and management for you guys strictly for Instagram. And there was no, maybe there was like a handful of people that actually did this back then because there wasn't, no one even barely used Instagram. So we were saying, hey, let me do this. So we were able to do it for one of the largest chain, which is a hair salon, uh, a high-end hair salon and, and a nail treatment group in Hong Kong, and then celebrity chefs in Hong Kong, and then celebrities in Hong Kong. Um, and we started managing all their different accounts in order to do that whilst I was still kind of flying back and forth for school. So I never really told people my age just because they think that I was flying back and forth, but they were like, if you're just a kid that's still going to school, 
Like, why would I trust you with, with anything? But I was able to grab a couple of my buddies, started this company and just say, Hey, we'll just take a step at a time. I don't know what the hell I'm doing, but people seems to be, people seem to want to pay We're, we can deliver this. And I guess we'll just take it a step at a time and see how that goes. Yeah, it's great. I mean, and, and obviously you are really onto something. I mean, there's still a huge demand for people wanting to, um, you know, build their uh, platforms, their audiences. Instagram, you know, continues to be incredibly popular place to do that. Um, and, uh, you know, you've stumbled into something. I mean, maybe it's not by accident, you know, maybe this is part of your, your skill set to kind of, you know, be able to, see these things. Right. Um, but you know, no question, it turns out to be a, a pretty great uh skill set to have and and you know a, a pretty impressive uh niche to be in. Um so I mean maybe you could just elaborate a little bit more on on what you are doing today. So doing that after pursuing that for probably a year and a half at uh, two years, what I found was whenever we tried to increase our prices past an X amount. It just didn't make sense and people want to leave because the understanding I soon, that the thing that I soon understood was if they didn't know how to build the audience and the brand themselves, they wouldn't know how to monetize it at the same time because they didn't do it at first. So at some point, as I increase my prices, it just gets ridiculous because they see their followers growing up, but it doesn't equate to any sort of monetary return for them. So why the hell am I going to pay you this much in order to do this? Because it just kind of looks good. Um, so I didn't like that. Um, and it was, hard to, it was hard to get them to know what they're doing in order to be able to transact that into dollars and have partnerships and then work with other influencers. It was just too much in order to do. So what I then switched, because I was still practicing all the marketing stuff on the Facebook and Instagram ads ourselves and honing that skills over time, I said, hey, let me, let's actually switch from the content management production side and then go full on. Uh, Facebook and Instagram ads only. And I know there was a, a whole bunch of different agencies that does everything. We, you want to do Google ads? Come to me. You want to do YouTube? I got you. You got email? I got you too. Content production, Facebook ads, Instagram ads, we'll do everything. But I didn't want to battle with that market. I just wanted to be really good at one specific thing. So I got really good at Facebook and Instagram ads. Um, and that is all we ever offered. And that's all we did going forward. Um, so I started working, you know, doing a lot of uh, working with more clients, you know, stateside, uh, bigger name, big brands, and bigger individuals in order to help scale their Facebook ads. Um, and, and that's essentially what we've been doing now. And that's what we're still currently doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, why not? I mean, it certainly looks like uh, those two are here to stay, but I am kind of curious about you know where you think things are headed. You know, there's a lot of conversation about Web three and um, you know kind of how that's changing the dynamic. You know, NFTs and and VR and and so I'm just kind of curious, uh, you know, if you see anything coming down, you know, the 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 pipeline here that might be uh, shifting your business or shifting how people that are 
you know, out there uh, trying to um, brand themselves or their companies, you know, how, how you are seeing things change. So I feel like the way that advertising is going is there's a lot of people now that is focused because of how accessible it, 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 it is. A lot of people put focus on like the latest, what is the latest hack or there's this new trick that instantly just you plug in and then the system instantly works. And when you spend, you know, millions of dollars on Facebook and Instagram, you soon figure out that those tricks and tips just it never lasts. It never works. It, it might work for like one or two instances, but it never works long periods of time. So I feel like there's a lot of people entering this industry and there's a lot of people entering this market. But if they're focusing on that, that's, what, that's, what, that's what's going to make them fail. The thing that I think is most important, like when they work with, with, with us, they were like, Chris, what makes you better? It's like, I, I, I don't know. We just, all we focus on is executing the, the very, very fundamentals at scale and at a high level. That's essentially all we do. There's no, nothing fancy to, to what we do. Nothing, it's not like some cool system that we built out that we just instantly plug into yours and then it just works magic. It, it's just the fundamentals at a high level that we do and we execute that on a regular basis and we have enough experience over time um, that allows us to adapt quicker. Um, I think building a brand going forward is super important um, as, as it has been over the past 5, 10, 15 years already, uh, but it's only going to be more important. So I think having a brand on different social platforms um, is the way forward. But at the same time, just because of how data important data is, capturing the data at the same time whilst you build your brand is the key. Like you can't just rely on, you know, having, even if you're like, you know, Kylie Jenner and you have hundreds of millions of followers on Instagram, what if like Instagram just goes away tomorrow, but you, you don't have any sort of way in order to communicate with these people. So I think having your own data whilst building it is the play that everyone should be focusing on and everyone should be doing in order to grow that. Um, and something that, you know, I was, I was, I was talking to, to Dave Meltzer or, or a mutual friend and I was asking him something about, I was like, Dave, you take a very, very interesting approach in building your brand. So we run all of Dave's Facebook and Instagram ads. Um, but one thing that I noticed that he does that the majority of the other people don't do is he never sells online ever. You don't see him say like, hey, buy my X do or join my coaching for Y. You know, he, he, he never does that. So I asked him this question. I was like, Dave, why do you not do that? And what with the acts, with the level of access that you have and the people that you surround yourself with, what do you see? Why, why do you choose that? And he was telling me, he was like, it's way more powerful to do it that way. And he was like, Chris, if you start focusing on building a community and you do this consistently over the next 20 years, you'll still be younger than I am. <laughs> so if you just do that and you don't need the money right now, you just focus on doing that. And when you should sell, when people come reach out to you from the content that you provide, the help that you're able to provide, then you can say, hey, we can do this on a monthly basis or, or, or a six month basis, whatever that commitment is. But you'll be in a much further ahead than everyone else that's trying to milk every single dollar out of every single person that comes into their ecosystem. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of intrigued by this. Um, 
I actually am sitting here thinking about it, you know, for myself too. And, um, you know, with the podcast, you know, we've, we've wanted to grow the audience and, you know, I, I want to grow the audience because I, I, I get good feedback. People seem to get something out of it. They like hearing stories. It's inspiring. It's helpful, what, whatever. And um, so I'm like, well, I want to share that with more people. And there's no monetary goal in, in doing this work. It's strictly about the enjoyment of being with somebody and hopefully, you know, um, hearing a story that matters to me and right. other people. Um, and, and, I, and I've kind of been told over and over again, well, you just have to kind of stick with it and more content, more content. Dave actually always is telling me more content, more content, you know, and there's a limit to the amount of, you know, content that I want to put out. But, but I guess what I'm kind of curious about is the, um, just how much of all of this is really misunderstood or unknown still. In other words, you know, for, for, I think conventional wisdom or traditional thought, I should say, um, probably still looks at influencers as, um, you know, gimmicky or um, they don't honor them. You know, they're not, they're not saying like, wow, you know, even today, like, you know, most people probably understand that the Kardashians are brilliant. Um, or that they're, you know, incredibly successful, or these right. people know how wealthy they are. But I still think there's some sort of like general sentiment that they're they're less than like other billionaires who have um, built businesses, right? Right. Right. Um, right. And it's there still seems to be some misunderstanding or disconnect in this world where people don't really get what's happening, right? And, and what's happening is um, pretty brilliant marketing and very strategic. Mm-hmm. It's, it's um, very, uh, it, it works. It's working maybe more so than anything's ever worked, you know? And, and so I'm kind of still kind of, and the idea of like personal platforms, like that's another thing. People like don't really understand it. I, I'm not even sure I understand it. In in the in the potential of what it 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 will eventually do. So you know, kind of coming back to Dave's statement about the twenty years, that that's kind of where I'm I'm still at. Like I'm not selling anything. I don't have a mastermind. You know, I'm not um, sponsoring anybody or you know, right. uh, you know, pushing ads on my podcast. But I believe there's also something twenty years from now. That if you do want to turn it on, you have that ability, and so that's you know part of you know what I'm doing and what I think maybe we all should be doing. Yeah. But um, I'm curious to kind of hear hear your thoughts on just kind of the the current climate around this thing that's still new and new things generally you know tend to disrupt or upset you know the old system, and it just feels like that's what's happening. And I'm curious to hear. Your thoughts on that and also kind of how you see it evolving. So I think like everything, there's always a new platform, right? So everyone, there's there's Clubhouse and then there was Instagram, there's Facebook, and then people feel like those are only for the older people now. And then now there's there's Twitter and I mean, sorry, there's TikTok. And then people thought that, you know, TikTok's only for for girls that are, are doing these little dance mix-ups, but they didn't, they don't understand that that could be used as a business tool as well, just because of how powerful the organic reach is. 
Um, I feel like the cycle of a lot of the different applications we see is always at the beginning is crazy organic reach. And then as you move towards it's pay to play. Whereas like you post one Instagram post now, it's like, there's only 10 people that ever actually see it. And then there's only 10 likes. And if you want a lot of people to see it, you got to pay in order for them to, to do it just because they've amassed all these different users and they have the upper hand now. Um, which is why I feel like it's something that Dave does extremely well being capitalizing on every single platform. He's on every single thing. And somehow he has the time in order to create content for every single way. And then it's repurposed and he's live and then he's not live. Um, but building that community is I think the strongest way where you actually have real influence. Um, I feel like it's better to do it one person at a time and actually amass real influence because you're able to help these people. And then obviously at the same time, like, like I was previously saying, you definitely want to have some sort of database and capture it by yourself where you actually own that sort of data so you can communicate with these people. And that's why people have text platforms um, besides of not only email, they want to do text as well. Um, but doing that over time, building a strong community, building a bigger brand and always staying on top of like the bigger platforms that come out every single year uh, when, when they do have organic reach in order to, for, for you to, to, to capitalize on that as well is going to really set apart people that are in the game for long-term at the same time for the people that are just only in it to, to sell you something quick. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah, I just think the the you know world just continues to change in the this particular um, piece of it. You know how we live and how we share how we live and how we um, you know uh, consume and and how we decide what we're going to consume. I mean, it's just changing drastically, uh, and it still uh, feels early. You know, for people. It does. Like you that are you know kind of in this space and has been from for a while you know it's it's just super um, and I guess maybe this is you know my last question for you but um, I'm just curious like how do you stay on top of the changes you know like Clubhouse you mentioned um, came in pretty hot and was like everybody's in Clubhouse and and I actually kind of fell for it you know I felt like oh this is like redefining podcasting, you know, mm. like this is like live podcast, but you don't actually have to record and, you know, the whole thing. I'm like, but, but then it faded off, you know, right. um, TikTok seemed kind of gimmicky and was like, you know, just, you know, dancing. And now it's like, you know, really carved its own thing. You know, Twitter was right. kind of down and, and now, you know, it's, it's so how do you kind of, um, you know, stay with it or how do you, choose, you know, where to pivot and what's real and, you know, what you really need to, you know, invest in. I've heard Gary Vee talk about, you know, the percentages of, you know, things that, you know, he, he'll, I think it's like, he goes 80% on one thing and then takes the other, you know, 20 and dabbles. Um, how right. do you do it? I feel like if you know about it, you should do it. And I feel like the way that I personally do it is because I'm surrounded by a lot of people that are doing this sort of thing of content creation and being a public figure at a very, very high level. So I have more visibility over what they're currently doing and what's working and what's not working. But I personally kind of apply the, I'd rather be consistent on the different platforms 
and do less of what everyone else is doing, but consistent than not do anything at all. So some people that I work with or the bigger profiles, they're able to put out, you know, one podcast episode per day and, or, or two different, like they, they bunch up a whole bunch and they just release it uh, like seven episodes a week. I don't have the scale to do that, nor do I have the capacity to currently do that yet. So I stick with one episode per week that we release, but I rather do that consistently every single time. And then we can start adding different elements towards it. With the TikTok stuff we want to do, you know, if we bunch up all these videos, can we do release, you know, one video per day? And then we make it native to that specific platform. I think the native to that platform is very, very important. I hate it when people do, when people do going back to that and add things, like when they put an in-feed ad where it's square on a story placement where it's supposed to be long, it almost screams like I'm I'm about to sell you something. So just look at this where it's, it's, it's not native. Everything should be native. Um, but I take the consistency approach across the different platforms on what's currently working, what, what people are, are doing, and then try to do, try to grow that as time goes by. I've never been good at capitalizing on like the newest thing. It's like the thing that like, Mm-hmm. It's like pre clubhouse or like when it was like the first hundred people, first thousand people, I never caught that wave. But when people are on it and starting to do it early, um, I try to get on that and do it as much as I can. Got it. Yeah. It's fascinating. Chris, um, thanks for your time. Uh, you know, I could talk to you about this stuff uh, all day. You know, it, it's, it's pretty interesting and, you know, can kind of get into the weeds, but um, I love what you're doing and um, it's great to have a chance to hear your story and how you arrived here and um, give you a chance to, you know, for any final thoughts. No, I appreciate, I appreciate you having me on Brett. Um, I, I think everyone that's executing any sort of content and trying to build a brand should just focus on consistency and the consistency of the reps of, of getting the reps in of one more. Um, in order to do one more piece of content, one more piece of platform, building one more person within your community to, in order to expand the brand. I feel like this is the way that everyone's going to win in the future. And if you're able to have that consistency over time, that's the way it's going to win. Um, and I think you're doing an extremely well job. Obviously, your, your podcast's absolutely crushing it. Uh, it's an absolute honor to, to, to be on. And thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, thanks, Chris. We'll, uh, we'll definitely stay in touch and um, love to do some work with you and thanks for taking the time and staying up late and sharing your story. I really enjoyed it. Of course, brother, anything that I can do to help you, you know, I'm always a phone call away. Awesome. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, man. Thank you for listening to the gravity podcast. Please subscribe to the show at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about the entire Gravity Project, please go to gravityproject.com. Please check out the podcast on Instagram at The Gravity Podcast. Music heard of the show is provided courtesy of Kyle Lamoro and Oliver Oak. 